This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. This is the Authority Podcast, where we talk with people who are the authority on their subjects. I am the creator, Jethro Jones. Join us as we discuss a wide range of topics from education to sociology to high performance and anything in between. We are a proud member of the B Podcast Network. You can find more of our shows at bpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Authority Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have my good friend Ryan Gottfordson on the program. I should say Dr. Ryan Gottfordson, even though he never mentions that he has a doctorate. He does, and uh, is such a humble guy that he never brings that to the forefront. All right, he is a professor at CSU Fullerton and just an all-around great guy. He wrote the book Success Mindsets, which is one of the most influential books I've ever read. And he also is releasing now a new book called The Elevated Leader, Ryan, welcome to the Authority Podcast. So happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I appreciate you mentioning, you know, well, I appreciate that you considered me, me to be a good friend. And I would say similarly of you. So it's great to be uh, your good friend. Well, thank you. We have, we have talked off and on for uh, several years now. And it's been uh, great for me to see your own your development as you're going through these things and then to see it come out in this book, The Elevated Leader, I feel like you summarized everything that I've been hearing from you for the last two years and put it into this book, which is really exciting for me to see. So congratulations on that. I want to start by talking about what the elevated leader means and and how we should understand that and approach that and why it's important for us to read this book. Yeah. Well, big question. I've written a whole book answering that one question, right? So no, and I appreciate the invitation. So the, the idea of elevation or an elevated leader stems from an idea that comes from the field of developmental psychology. 
And what it's been popularized now, and still it isn't as popular as we need it to be, is the notion that there are two different types of development. One type of development is horizontal development. Horizontal development is adding new knowledge and skills. It's like adding an app onto an iPad. When we add an app onto an iPad, it broadens our functionality or that iPad's functionality. And this is great. We need horizontal development. Most of our education is horizontal development, right? If I take a college class on accounting, I'm going to learn the knowledge and skills to balance my budget sheet. That's great. So we need horizontal development, but there's a different form of development that we also need, and that's vertical development. Because if I take an accounting class in college and learn how to balance my budget sheet, that, will, that helps me to do the job of being an accountant. But it's not necessarily going to improve my ability to navigate change, pressure, uncertainty, and complexity in the workforce. Right? If we want that, rather than add an app onto our, uh, an iPad, we need to upgrade that iPad's operating system. Or in other words, we need to upgrade our own internal operating system. So the elevated leader and the concepts of vertical development is all about how do we upgrade our own internal operating system so that we operate at a higher, more elevated level. Okay, so that's a really great overview and I appreciate that. I feel like when we go to leadership trainings or try to learn how to be a better leader, sometimes it feels like they are hitting those things that are upgrading our operating system. Sometimes it feels like that we're just adding more duties or tasks or skills or abilities. How do we tell the difference between upgrading the operating system and adding more things because they can sometimes look similar. Yes. No, well said. And I think one of the spaces where we get this, where we struggle with this is with the concept of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is a vertical development characteristic. But in my experience, almost every emotional intelligence kind of program that I've been a part of it is, they've tried to boil it down as horizontal. Like if you want to become more emotionally intelligent, here's what you need to do. And they give you essentially a checklist of the things that you do. And they assume that by having these checklists that you're going to then go about doing those things. But the reality is, is that that's not really how it works. In fact, what I've learned, and, and this is part of where the book goes, which is the book goes really deep what we've got to connect into is our body's nervous system because that's our internal operating system. And what we've learned is that when people have been through trauma in their lives, and that can mean a wide variety of things, there are predictable consequences on the body's nervous system. So one of those consequences is that when we've gone through trauma, we, will, we are more inclined to self-protect ourselves. Right? So we are be, we're going to be more prone to see, for example, constructive criticism as an attack, as opposed to something that can actually help us out. And, and so when, if we, have, if we have not healed from our past trauma, our body's nervous system is more programmed for us to be sensitive to threats around us. We actually start to see safe things as being dangerous. And because we're so concerned with ourselves, we have a hard time connecting 
and being sensitive to others. And if emotional intelligence is our ability to navigate our own emotions effectively and how to navigate others' emotions effectively, then this is really central or connected to our body's central nervous system. And so if we truly want to improve on our emotional intelligence, it's not going to come through, you've got to listen more empathetically. No, because we may not even have that capacity to listen more empathetically because our central nervous system isn't working the way that it can. And that's the process of vertical development is actually improving our body's central nervous system so that we have the capacity for things like empathy, humility, patience, and then emotional intelligence is down the line from that. Okay, so that sounds like a lot more challenging act <laughs> to deal with all the trauma that, we, that we've experienced than what we usually get from leadership seminars and books. So um, I get that, but that seems very long-term, very out of reach for a lot of people. What would you suggest would be a place for us to get started in being able to start moving down that path? Because dealing with my trauma may not be something I can resolve for the next five years or so. It may take a long time. So where, where should I start down that path? That's a, maybe a smaller baby step. No, and I, you, great point. And I think the way that I like to look at it is regardless of where we are now, we can always level up. We could always enhance in our vertical altitude. And, and that isn't to say anything about where we've been. So wherever we're at, we can level up. And to your point is I'm not gonna say that it's easy but I am gonna say, I think it's easier than we generally think. And here in general, here's what I've learned, is that the deeper we go inward in terms of our self-awareness, the higher we go in terms of our vertical development, our vertical altitude. Let me give you an example of this. I, I was coaching a, a CEO. He's the founder and CEO of a company with a thousand employees. And I asked him why he started his business. And his answer was to prove others wrong. I mean, immediately upon getting this answer, you get a sense of this person's vertical development. You get the sense that he's probably really driven, right? You get, also get the sense that, and this is what's the case, is he's a micromanager. He can't deal with problems because to him, problems are a symbol that he's not going to be able to prove others wrong. And if he can't prove others wrong, then he's not of any value or of any worth. Later in that same conversation, he said to me, I try not to let anyone know this, but deep down, I'm a very insecure person. And I loved that vulnerability. And it takes that type of vulnerability to start the vertical development journey. Because what he's got to do is if he wants to truly have the positive, positive impact that he wants to have on the organization, he's got to heal those deep insecurities. And, and the first step is always awakening. So Jetsar, you kind of said, um, my book, Success Mindsets, and I feel very fortunate uh, that you consider it to be one of those books that, you, that might be, you know, to some degree of life changing for you. My, my question for you is, what about that book was so insightful for you? Very clearly, it's that 
there's more than just fixed versus growth mindset and that there are many other mindsets that we can em- embrace or push away. And so one of the ones that's not in there, but has become very powerful for me is a scarcity versus abundance mindset that as I've learned about the four mindset sets that you talk about in success mindsets, I've also started to try to see what other mindsets that things that don't fit into those four that are impacting how I act and behave and what I can do about that. Awesome. Right. So, so what, what the book did is it spurred a deeper level of awareness for you. It gave you labels to things you never had labels for. For example, abundance versus deficit or fixed versus growth or prevention versus promotion. When we have labels and we can describe those things, then we could look inward and say, oh, where am I at? And then once we get that deeper awakening and awareness, then we could do something about it. But if we never have those level labels and if we never have those descriptions, we're never going to be motivated to make any deep level transformational changes. Um, And so that's always the first step is it starts with awareness. Now, there is something to the idea of mindsets. So let me give you the formal definition of vertical development. The formal definition is elevating our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. So I want to unpack this for a second. So Jethro, I'm going to have you, I'm going to give you a fill in the blank question. Most people see vulnerability as a sign or a signal of what? Strength. Oh, you see, you think most people see it that's, that way? <laughs> no, I was trying to be tricky myself. I think most people probably see it as a weakness, right? But I was trying and to I, get into my mind 3.0 self. Good, good. And see right? the best so in I others. Think- I think that most people see vulnerability as a sign or a signal of strength. And therefore we don't, we aren't vulnerable, right? We're making meaning of it in that way. But is that a cognitively and emotionally sophisticated way of making meaning of vulnerability? No, I don't think so. Right. It's much more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated to make meaning of vulnerability as a sign or a signal of strength, as you said. Right, because when we're there, we're actually step towards being vulnerable. We we start to think that me admitting my weaknesses or mistakes actually can have benefit, and and that's truly the case. I mean, the strongest people that I know are also the people that are the most willing to be vulnerable, and so so the concept of vertical development at a foundational level is all about how we make meaning of our world. And is that in a cognitively and emotionally sophisticated way? So what are our bodies meaning makers? They are our mindsets. So in my book, Success Mindsets, I talk about, as you mentioned, the four different sets of mindsets, uh, fixed versus growth. And I imagine a lot of our listeners are gonna be familiar with those. Fixed mindset is a very justable mindset to have, right? It kind of says, I want to look good, right? And that's justifiable because who wants to look bad? Nobody wants to look bad. But while that fixed mindset is justifiable, I would say it's not very cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. It's much more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated to have a growth mindset where we recognize that, hey, 
it's okay to fail. It's okay to have problems, to fall behind, to make mistakes, because those are the greatest opportunities to learn and grow. And that's what a growth mindset is all about. So, so awakening to our mindsets, these mental lenses and how we make meaning of our world is the first step in our, I think, in our vertical development journey. I think that that is really powerful and something that has certainly helped me. And people may think, yeah, I know what those different mindsets are, fixed versus growth. I get that. And I can, okay, thanks. So what's next? And, and the problem there is that if you, if you move beyond that too quickly and don't examine what your own mindsets are about that, then it's difficult to progress to mind 2.0. So before we go there, let's talk about the mind 1.0 versus 2.0 versus 3.0 because it's like a software operating system that it is starts out at 1.0 and that's the base. And so talk about the different levels for a moment, would you please? Yeah, for sure. And just to give a, even a little bit more background to kind of set the stage for this. So these ideas are not my ideas. They come from the field of developmental psychology. And developmental psychology started up in the 1880s. And the primary focus of developmental psychology from the 1880s until the 1960s was on child development, right? Because we could see children develop almost right before our eyes. And what they learned about child development is that as children go from infants to adults, they go through different developmental stages. And they do so rather, rather automatically. It's essentially a function of age. And, and they're doing this pretty rapidly. Well, in the 1960s, some of these developmental psychologists started to ask the question, well, do adults develop? And if so, do they have different developmental stages? And what they've learned is that, yes, adults can develop. And yes, there are different adult development stages. But what they've also learned is that most adults don't develop. What they've learned is that development as a child is essentially a function of age, but development as an adult is more a function of effort. And what they've identified is there's three primary vertical development stages. I call them mind 1.0, mind 2.0, and mind 3.0 because they're symbolic of our internal operating system when we're at that level. We are programmed to fulfill different needs. And so I could walk us through those different needs, but I feel like you have a comment. I, I do have a comment. And this is, I think, really important for us to notice is that, especially as an educator myself, seeing kids develop at age-appropriate ways and in age-appropriate um, actions, I can see very easily how that progression works. Now, what's really fascinating is when you have a child with some sort of disability who does not develop in the same way, it takes a lot of effort for them to get to that point. It takes a lot of effort for them to move through some of those stages that everybody else thinks is is amazing. Now, I've my oldest daughter has Down syndrome, and so when she was born, we had this idea of what challenges she would face in her life. Now, I have three brothers and three sisters, and uh, except for one of us, we all have kids. And there has been a lot of competition, as you can imagine, about whose kid walked first, talked first, said their first word, what their first word was, all that. And as soon as my daughter with Down syndrome was born, she immediately was going to lose every single one of those competitions, right? And so all of my bragging rights between my siblings 
just disappeared. And there was nothing that I would ever be able to do for my daughter to be the first one to do something. Now, that was a big impact on my life, as you can imagine. And then as I started paying attention, I saw how much effort it took for her to achieve some things that other kids just achieved it with almost no effort at all. And we just take for granted that kids learn how to walk, that they learn how to talk, that they learn how to feed themselves. And that is not truly the case for every single child, especially those who have disabilities. And what it's opened my eyes to is that my other kids are developing mostly normally, but they also have their own challenges. Mm -hmm. And so my work with all of my kids has been more on helping them develop their mindsets and what they believe more than on the physical things that we see progress so rapidly and so easily, it seems, to kids. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. And partly because of your book and knowing you, I focused a lot on the mindsets intentionally because I know that that is where the real power is going to help them once they everybody develops to a certain level as you know an 18 to 25 year old whenever that happens and they're all pretty much here and so how do i help them continue to desire to develop beyond that and and so i just want to give that little context to what yeah. you're talking about because i think it's really important because the effort does have to happen for young kids as well and that effort should be the thing that we are working on developing all throughout our lives mm -hmm. yeah no, spot on. And I think that what, what you're talking about in terms of that effort that that's, I think everybody uh, has to go through for different things or for different reasons. Um, but that's symbolic of the effort that's needed as we move into our adult development phase of our life. Is if we want to level up from one phase to the other, or uh, from mind 1.0 to mind 2.0, it it's going to require effort. It's going to require discomfort. And what research has found is that 64% of all adults operate at that base mind 1.0 level. 35% operate at mind 2.0. There's only 1% that gets up to the third level. And so probably makes sense to dive into what those differences are. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I do think so. And I want you to also share now your assessments so people can know where they personally are at. Because when I took the assessment, I was, I was getting nervous at a point in the assessment. And I was like, I'm feeling like I, I may not be where I want to be. And, and then when I got the results, I was like, okay, phew, at least I'm mine 2.0. Because <laughs> I know that I've been doing work over the last several years to be better at some things. And some of those questions, I was like, man, I don't want to be in this place, but... I am in this place. And so I need to, I need to keep working because I haven't arrived quote unquote um, to where I want to be just yet. So tell us about the assessment first, and then we'll talk about the different levels. Yeah, for sure. So the assessment is free. It just came out uh, actually. Uh, it's at ryangotfordson.com vertical dash development dash assessment. And it's a 15, it's got 15 questions should take about 10 minutes for you to complete. And it is designed to help you to see where do you, because I think we could bounce back and forth through these different levels to a certain degree, but I do think we have a center of gravity, a, a place that we gravitate towards the majority of our operation. And that's what the assessment is designed to identify. In fact, 
I got an email this morning from a CEO who I'm going to be working with his executive team, and I am, I've invited them to take it. And the CEO, it came back that he's in mind 1.0. And he's like, I completely disagree with this. And everybody on my team would disagree with this. And, and I haven't responded to him yet, but I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, I think one of the questions we should ask ourselves as we get these results, even if we don't like it, is the first thing we should say is, how fascinating. What, is, what might this help me uncover? Now, I'm not, I'm not here to say I don't know him well enough to say if he's spending 50% of his time in Mind 1.0 or 100% of his time in Mind 1.0. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I expect it's closer to the 50, if not even a little less than that. But in my conversations with him, I know that he has kind of given some hints of what his vertical altitude is. And I would say it doesn't shock me to see that. Um, but also, I don't think that that's his full story. So uh, surely invite people to take it. And I'm similar to you, Jethro, in the sense of when I first started to learn about this, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm in mind. I've got hotel. this. <laughs> yeah. The more I've learned about it, like, oh, I am very solidly in mind 2.0. Mm. Uh, and that's OK. That's just kind of where I'm at on my own vertical development journey. And if you read my book, you'll hear about my story, how I think I'm making some pretty significant strides to spend a higher percentage of my time in mind 3.0. But it's a, for some, it's a little bit of a rude awakening. Um, and that's well, OK, and, I think. And, and as you mentioned, and it is OK, but as you mentioned, it requires effort and you don't get there just because you think that you are great at this stuff. Right. You get there because you put in the effort and that's. That's where an example is doing a podcast has really helped me see how much I don't know. And as I get older, I feel like there's just more that I don't know. And instead of feeling like I'm learning new things, I'm learning that there's more that I don't understand. And that for a while, that made me feel like, gosh, when am I ever going to learn everything I need to know? And to where now I'm realizing it's going to be impossible for me to learn everything that is possibly out there. And that's okay. I don't have to know everything. Whereas at a time in my life, I felt like I did have to know. So that having to know everything and thinking there's a finite amount very much, I think is a mind 1.0 characteristic that, yeah. that I can control or have at my fingertips, everything that I need to. And as I get older, I realize there's even less in that I have in control than I ever have before. So tell yeah. us about Mind 1.0, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, perfect. So um, at each of these levels, our body's internal operating system, literally our nervous system, is programmed to fulfill different needs. At the Mind 1.0 level, the needs that we have are safety, comfort, and belonging. So oftentimes, we join and identify with groups or tribes that help us to fulfill these needs and quell our fears of being unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belonging. So this could be a family group. This could be a peer group. This could be a religious group. It could be an employment, uh, place of employment. It could be a social group, a professional association, whatever it might be. Mind 1.0 people like to join and identify with tribes or groups that help them to feel safe, comfortable, and like they belong. And when we're at this level, we, we don't, we step into these groups and we don't want to lead these groups. We kind of say, you tell me what to do and I'll go and do it. We're kind of good soldiers uh, when we're here. And when we're here, it's not, again, not 
we're not bad for being here, but there is some dark sides to it, right? One of the dark sides is that we operate as dependent thinkers. We, we kind of give up our power and independence. We give that to the group in exchange for the safety, comfort, and belonging. Um, and so, again, 64% of all adults have been found to operate here at this level, primarily wired for safety, comfort, and belonging. So that's that's mine 1.0. And and that relates to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which we all need that to to even level up anywhere, right? We if we don't have those things, as you talked about the trauma earlier, if we don't have those things, then there's no way for us to feel like we can actually grow and develop beyond that. So being mind 1.0 is not a bad thing per se. It is a, a thing that needs to be established first before you can even upgrade. Is that, is that a fair summary? Um, yes, but I do think it's a little bit different than Maslow's hierarchy. In fact, some of these ideas are the researchers base some of their ideas on Maslow's work. But I think there's an element of being a little bit more in control of the situation as opposed to the conditions have to be right in order for this to occur. Um, I think I, I'm not sure that's always the, it's surely helpful but I don't think it's always the case. So let me just give you a quick personal example is I came into adulthood never wanting to be an entrepreneur because my dad, he, he struggled as an entrepreneur. Part of it was the context at the time, early 80s, big economic downturn. But regardless, I kind of been brought up, it's bad to be an entrepreneur because it's too risky and you'll put your family in danger. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Well, that and that was me. I wanted to be safe, comfortable, right? That was my mind 1.0 programming. Well, I actually was able to shift that programming by focusing in terms of mindsets from a prevention mindset to a promotion mindset. And as I made that shift, then I was like, oh, if I want to accomplish these goals, I've actually got to become an entrepreneur. And I became willing to do that. So I wouldn't say that I ever felt safe or comfortable but I had developed the mindset that said, and this is mine 2.0 now, I'm okay being unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belonging in order to fulfill my mind 2.0 needs of standing out, advancing, and getting ahead. So so that's that's a huge shift from mind 1.0 to mind 2.0. We're shifting from, I I, I need to feel safe, comfortable, and belong to, I'm willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belong in order to stand out, advance, and get ahead. And when we're here, we're not dependent thinkers. We are independent thinkers. We we stand on our own two feet for our beliefs and our ideas. And what we also find is 85% of executives operate at Mind 2.0 because they recognize that there's a whole group of people, these Mind 1.0 people, that are willing to give of their power and independence to me as a leader. And I could utilize them to help me stand out, advance, and get ahead. So those, that's the mind 2.0 levels. We're wired for standing out, advancing, and getting ahead. So both of those levels seem like there is selfishness. I want to be safe. I want to be comfortable. I want to stand out. I want to get ahead. Is that Are those really very selfish, or is there some other aspect to it that I'm not seeing? So I think selfishness is somewhat of a continuum. I think it leans towards the selfishness side, right? So 
I want to stand in or my body is programmed to stand in, that's mind 1.0, or my body is programmed to stand out. That's not to say that these people aren't doing really good things, right? They do good things, um, but in terms of their cognitive and emotional sophistication is they're not operating at a really high level. Um, so, for example, let me go back to the CEO, who's this Mind 2.0 leader, who's this leading a thousand employees, but he has this tendency to step in and micromanage in these situations because his body is programmed to prove others wrong so that he can feel of value and of worth. And here's what's critical about understanding this. There's a thousand things that he's doing awesome as a leader. But what he has a hard time seeing is that when he micromanages, what he's actually doing, this is occurring at the non-conscious level, is he's trying to create safety and security for himself. And he doesn't realize that while this feels really good to him, it's detrimental to those around him. And now you can now let's bring this back to the conversation about emotional intelligence, right? He doesn't, he has a hard time controlling his own emotions in situations where problems occur. And in those situations, he then, because he has problems controlling his own emotions, he's micromanaging and he has a hard time seeing the effect that has on those around him. So he has a hard time connecting with his emotions and he has a hard time connecting with the emotions of those around him. So this is an example of how emotional intelligence is a vertical development topic. And in order for him to improve in his emotional intelligence, he's actually got to heal those deeper level insecurities. Yeah, I, and that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Let's talk about mind 3.0. What is that? So now, now it's your point. We're making the shift from being less self-focused or self-centered to being more outward oriented. The needs that we develop here is the need to contribute, add value, and lift others. In fact, we, when we get here, we say, I am willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belong, to add value, contribute, and lift others. And I'm willing to not stand out, to not get ahead, and, and not advance so that I can benefit a cause that's greater than myself, somebody else. Um, and when we're here, we're not dependent thinkers and we're not independent thinkers. We are interdependent thinkers. Well, in fact, we're, a lot of people who are lower in their vertical altitude, they are black and white thinkers. And they're polarized thinkers. Like if you think about politics, you're one side or the other. Mind 3.0 people never go to one side or the other. They love sitting right in the middle. They love the complexity because they recognize that for any debate, right? We could take, for example, here in the United States, abortion has become a major issue lately. Really is mind 3.0 recognize there are pros to anti-abortion laws and there are cons to anti-abortion laws. And there are people on other sides and they wanna know the pros and cons of each position. And they're okay standing in the middle. That doesn't mean that they can't take a stand, but they'll usually only do so after they thoroughly understand the pros and cons of either position. And so mind 3.0 people, they operate at a space of greater cognitive and emotional sophistication. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about that in in the context of my life experiences and what I've seen and the leaders that I've respected the most. I and I, I let me take that back. Not leaders. The people that I've respected the most because they haven't always been in a leadership position, but they have led people by their example and what they say and do. But those people I've respected the most have almost always been exhibiting that thing that you just last talked about, the interdependent thinkers, that they can see both sides, that they can talk rationally about both sides and can understand and relate to both sides without having to, to I don't want to say give in, but give in to either side, right? Mm-hmm. I can't think of a better word than give in. Like they, I feel like in Mind 1.0 and 2.0, you're pulled like a magnet to either side and the mind 3.0 people are able to, to resist the pull and, and uh, address and deal with both uh, black and white aspects of it. Yeah. Well, let me, let me bring up something that I see with the executive teams that I work with and I'll even relate it to the educational space. Cause I see this in the educational space as well is my, we are, largely socially and sometimes formally incentivized for mind 2.0 thinking, right? When you look at schools, what is measured and evaluated? Yeah, test scores, tests, yep. Right, test scores. And, And so that becomes the outcome that we're focused on. We judge success by these outcomes. So mind 2.0 people are really focused on the short-term outcomes. At a school level, that's test scores. And in an organization, it's our quarterly stock price. We want to stand out in the short term. Mind 3.0 people find this capacity and maybe inner wisdom to recognize that the objective is not the outcomes. The outcomes are a sign or a signal of a bigger purpose. And so what I find is that mind 2.0 leaders are really focused on the outcomes. Mind 3.0 leaders recognize that there's value in recognizing these outcomes, but they're primarily focused on the purpose. And what I'm finding with one executive team that I'm working with right now is that they are so wired on the goals, on the outcomes. All of their languages, we've got to hit the goals. We've got to hit $10 million this quarter. We've got to hit it. We're falling behind. We got to do it. And there's no talk about purpose. There's no talk about what value are we creating for our customers that we're selling to. And, and that's one of the things that I think mind 3.0 leaders do exceptionally well is they connect with the purpose, right? So if I'm an educator, if I'm a principal at a school, my, my focus should not be on test scores as much as we're incentivized to that. Our focus should be on the value we're creating in the lives of our students and their families, the stakeholders. Who are our stakeholders? How are we adding value to them? And the more we add value to them, naturally, we're going to get the outcomes that we want. But too many leaders try to pull and force the outcomes, and that's generally come up from a mind 2.0 mentality. So I think one of the main ideas from my book that has come out and as I've learned about this is that An organization can never rise above the level of that leader's vertical altitude. 
that that leader, whether it's a principal, the CEO, they cap the organization, the effectiveness of the organization by their current vertical altitude. And and that seems it makes total sense now that you at, at the end of this conversation. But it's something that really impacted me as I was reading the book that it just you just can't get above that. And what is it that prevents the organization from getting above the leader's vertical altitude? Well, so when a leader operates in mind 2.0, for example, they are going to institute certain policy strategies and procedures, right? Uh, let me give you an example. Let's use Microsoft as an example. Steve Ballmer was the former CEO of Microsoft. He was a mind 2.0 leader. He instituted what's called stacked rank performance management. So on every team, the manager has to stack rank who's the best employee, who's the worst. If you're the worst for two quarters in a row, you're out. Right. And what this did is it made sense to Steve Ballmer because it helps us to identify our top performers. But there's a huge dark side because it creates competition in the organization as opposed to collaboration. And it killed innovation in Microsoft. So here's a mind 2.0 leader who says, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense, but it's killing the organization as a whole. So what does Satya Nadella do when he comes in as CEO in 2014? Well, he abolishes the stack rank performance management system, and he starts to focus on a growth mindset, fosters an, a culture of innovation and creativity. And then now their stock price before this latest economic downturn was up 11 times what it was when he took over. I still think it's up about six times what it was when he took over. But the, I mean, if you look at their stock chart, it's an exponential increase since he took over. It's crazy. And so that's the example of how Microsoft was capped under Steve Ballmer because he was operating at that mind 2.0 level and seemed resistant to, to elevate. Well, we bring in a new vertically developed CEO and it, it's a game changer. And we could say similar things. If you want some really good books to read, you could read Hit Refresh, which is all about that at Microsoft. Um, there's a look at, there's a book called American Icon about Forge transformation under Alan Mulally. And you could read Creativity Inc., which I think is the best business book I've ever read, which focuses on the transformation of Disney animation when Ed Catmull, the president of Pixar animation took over after Disney bought out Pixar. So those are some examples of some really vertically developed leaders and how they transform their organization. And the reason why is because they operated from a really high vertical altitude. Yeah, I, I think that's really powerful. And you see, you use stock price as a justification for why to have a vertically developed person at the helm, because you're saying that the results follow that type of approach. And, and that's important for schools as well, yep. that as you have a leader who's vertically developed, then the test scores will follow that. And as you're focusing on the right things and on purpose, the test scores will follow that money, income, stock prices, they will all follow that because you're doing things that are elevating everybody, not just making some people stand out and look better. So my last question for you, Ryan, is why should someone who's not necessarily a leader read this book and understand how to be an elevated leader? Oh, great question. For me, and this is really, well, so I'm going to give you two answers. And both of them are the reasons why I wrote the book. So one is a little bit more surface level. It is I think everybody needs to read it because I think everybody wants to become a better version of themselves. 
they, I think we all naturally, we want to upgrade. And this is a book that I think is the best synthesis on vertical development that's out there. So it's not the only book on vertical development, but every other book I've read has been incredibly unapproachable. And I feel like this is so at least somewhat approachable. So uh, if very not, approachable more for you. That. Yeah, good. very approachable for sure. Good. So, so that's, if we just want to upgrade ourselves, this is, I, I think is the place to start. But on a deeper level, and this is to me why the book and learning about vertical development is so meaningful, is at a foundational level, vertical development, as I, we've alluded to, is about healing ourselves. And to me, that's, that's beautiful. I think all of us have our own wounds, our own scars, our own trauma, whatever they might be. And, and this is an invitation to help people move towards healing. And to the degree to which we heal as a person is the degree to which we can have a greater positive impact on the world around us. So to me, it's, it's ultimately a message of healing. And, and I think if there's, there's two things that we need in this world today, it's better leaders and more healing. And the reality is we can't have one without the other. Yeah. And we can't have too much of those either. Right. Well said. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So Ryan, this was great chatting with you. Um, RyanGodfordson.com and uh, definitely go to his website, check out what he's doing. Take the vertical development assessment. It's very good, very insightful. And you should say fascinating after you take it. Any final words before we go, Ryan? Uh, no, this has been great. Uh, really a pleasure uh, to connect with you and, and to connect with the audience here. And like I said, is this isn't about, this isn't evaluative. It's developmental. It's understanding where we're at, wherever we are on our journey, and we can level up. Because the reality is, is everybody starts at mine 1.0. There's just a few people who get to mine 3.0. And I, but I think we can all do it. Um, and, and so hopefully this is a way to help us transformationally improve who we are, as opposed to what horizontal development does is incrementally help us. I'm not going to say it's bad. It's surely helpful, but it can only be incrementally helpful. I think vertical development can be transformationally helpful. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ryan. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.